This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Now that the U.S. has sanctioned Russia for invading Ukraine, will Moscow retaliate, targeting our economy? The cybersecurity expert tells us that could begin at... The grocery store. Let's see if they can raise the price of that chicken. They're going to start with packing plants for meat and vegetables. They might start in oil and gas. Very easy to make the price of the pump go up. And Lisa Brady is gerrymandering in the eye of the beholder. Drawing new maps gets scrappy ahead of the midterms. We've become more partisan and more tribal and more ideological as as a country. So there's less room for compromise in in, in general. I'm Cynthia Monteleone, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Russia has done what was feared for weeks. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare new so-called countries on territory that belong to his neighbors. President Biden condemning Russian troops moving into two eastern Ukraine territories Moscow now considers independent after leader Vladimir Putin said he doesn't even consider Ukraine a country. And that has led the U.S. and our allies to inflict economic pain as a consequence. I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response far beyond the steps we and our allies and partners implemented in 2014. And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. So what will Russia do in response? There's a lot of concern it could launch cyber attacks to target American infrastructure to hurt our economy in return. The U.S. government has already urged key industries to be even more vigilant since there have been Russian cyber attacks, including ransomware in the past. Russia has some of the most effective offensive cyber capabilities of any country in the world. John Cofrancesco is vice president for Fortress Government. And it'll be very interesting to see if, uh, to to quote the president of Ukraine, if this hybrid warfare now spills over here in the homeland. And I I think, frankly, that is a very uh, likely outcome. Obviously, Ukraine's been attacked. There have been cyber attacks on Ukraine hitting the government, hitting banks in that country. They're they're constantly right now under Russian threat, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at cyber attacks, they kind of fall into two two categories. There's the ones that are really designed to just give a gap in surveillance. So this is the type of attack you do prior to rolling tanks across a border. And I think Russia has been effective at that. The, the second type is almost like a terror attack. It's meant to inspire fear. It's really meant to delay uh, a reaction or, or to cause economic harm. And obviously, Russia has been engaged in both. Fortunately, Ukraine has beaten back most of those. But but I suspect there are some still lingering that, that may yet yield a success for Russia, unfortunately. But the concern is not just Ukraine, of course. We've already been hit by Russian attacks. People point to 
The Colonial Pipeline last year being a really big one. It shut down gasoline stations across parts of the East Coast for a little while in the spring of 2021. Is another one of those types of attacks possible? It's absolutely possible. So when we talk about cybersecurity in the United States, particularly on the commercial side, right? So we're our big oil and gas companies, the, the grocery store, right? The, the Russians have the ability to strike at just about any of those at will. The question is, is are they going to? That's as of yet unclear, but it is very likely and uh, certainly within their realm, realm of capacity. You, you said at will. That, that, that doesn't sound very comforting. Well, it isn't very comforting. And the thing to understand is America has outsourced so much of its production, both in hardware and in software. Russia is a prolific software manufacturer. So they have unfortunately been able to embed themselves into just about every major system uh, in the Western world. And when I talk about that, I'm not saying that when you buy something from a, a major name brand that those guys have purposely let the Russians in. Uh-huh. Rather, it's to say that the, the, the Russians make these little software components Right. Just like uh, if you were making a sandwich, right, the you, you didn't make the salami or the cheese. Right. You didn't you didn't make the mayo. You just right, put right. the sandwich together. Right. So same thing in software. So the Russians make these really great components, some of which are laden with vulnerabilities that that every major company is using. So when I say at will, I mean at will. And that's because they've permeated our software supply chain with, uh, you know, with their goods. And there's nothing to do about that. There are a lot of things that could be done, um, a lot of things that are not being done. If you kind of look at our markets today, there are some markets like energy production that are really scrutinized, are quite secure. And there are a lot of other markets that just don't have that scrutiny. Uh, there, there are a lot of insecure uh, companies out there. All right. Now, when, when we look at the threats that could come from Russia, what industries, in your opinion, need to do better and more now to try to prevent some terrible attack? So I would I'm, I'm going to follow DHS's uh, lead on this, and and I have to give credit where credits due. The 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 new administration brought in a lot of experts at CISA, which is the new agency for cybersecurity. And if you follow Jen Easterly and some of the other people who who really gone nose to grindstone on this, they're saying, hey, shields up. That's their program, shields up. So critical infrastructure first, water, gas, uh, food, healthcare. The things that we need to live our ordinary lives, that's where they want to go first because they will instill the most fear and cause the most economic damage on us. Okay. Last year, there were a lot of companies hit by what is believed to be Russian. There was a JB Foods, Acer, which makes computers and, and, and technology. And there's this group called R Evil that is believed to be Russian linked or maybe even be in Russia. How active is that group now? So when we talk about cyber attack groups, these are evils and others, the important thing to understand is that individual members of that are members of many other groups. So even if you shut down one group per se, 10 or 15 more open up uh, at the the sign of that closed shop. These are a lot like terrorist groups, right? So I get rid of uh, ISIS and then now I have uh, you know, Al-Shabaab to deal with functions the same way. The, the other thing to understand is that your FSB, which is the modern day KGB, their cyber element, those guys go to work on Monday wearing their Russian hat 
they take that hat off when they go home and they put on their cyber hacker hat. And they do that with the knowledge and, and support or uh, the tacit support of the Russian government, because the Russian government loves to be able to say, well, it wasn't us. So that is a lot of what's going on here. And uh, it makes this thing really difficult to handle, very difficult to attribute. How well secured is the U.S. power grid, for example? I, I mean, shutting down power to a lot of the U.S. or regions of the U.S. for a while would certainly be crippling. It would be crippling. Uh, I think of the major critical industries that energy is the most secure, it's also the most regulated, which is why it's the most secure. Certainly an attack of that nature would be a real, a real escalation. If I was a, if I was a betting man, I would bet that they're going to start in things that are a little bit more mundane. So they're going to start with the grocery store. Let's see if they can raise the price of that chicken. They're going to start with packing plants for meat and vegetables. They might start in oil and gas. Very easy to make the price of the pump go up. Obviously, that benefits them on, a, on an international stage. But because we in the United States are so dependent and so freedom loving, right? We love our cars. That's an easy way for them to really disrupt our lives. So could they pull off an attack in energy? Potentially. Um, but I think they're likely to start somewhere else, really, because that would be a huge provocation on their part. Ransomware. Is that the way that they do most of this now? And and I know in the colonial case, there was actually a ransom paid. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, you got to remember that Vladimir Putin was a KGB guy, but he's a gangster. Right. That so he has all this false money coming in under his name and all the cronies that work for him function the same way. Right. That so if they can achieve a, a national outcome and then make some coin on the back end of it, they love to do that. Right. These are not good people. Obviously, those attacks are really tough to stop because people are paying these ransoms. Right. I mean, why is ransomware so effective? Part of it's technical. The way cybersecurity works in the Western world, not just the United States, but the Western world, it's kind of like that old adage about you're, you're being chased by the bear. You don't need to be faster than the bear. You need to be faster than your, uh, you know, your slower, fatter friend. <laughs> this is a lot of how cybersecurity works in the Western world. So it makes it very easy for these guys to bring the hammer down on us. The, the second thing is that you know, cybersecurity is just a difficult thing to do. You only need one user to click one stupid email. For, for the bad guy to have a win. So yeah. it's an economic advantage that they have by being strong in cyber. So it's up to companies to make certain that all their workers know what's going on. I and mean, we get training here at Fox all the time about phishing and all these other things that you're supposed to watch out for, be careful. It, 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 it is insidious. It's, 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 we're all targets, it seems like. Absolutely. And, and I think the, the real insidious part about it, the part that really keeps me up when I when I talk about this with folks, it's, it's the fact that they've already permeated so many of our networks. So what, what's going on when Russia isn't attacking us is they're actively looking for weak companies, for weak government agencies, and they're not attacking immediately. That's so they create these big lists of all vulnerable companies, vulnerable individuals, vulnerable uh, government agencies, and they just wait. And they wait that so if they feel the need to use that attack, that vulnerability is still available to them. So I suspect if we do have a situation with Russia where, where it becomes a little hotter in cyberspace, that, that they'll be using pre-exposed vulnerabilities, things that they've had access to for months or years. We all need banks. We Most of us need credit cards in this day and age. I mean, you have to do a lot of your financial stuff online and, and electronically. How safe are we when it comes to that? 
Well, that's, so there's sort of two two answers here. I think in general, this is a very serious thing. We should be taking it more seriously than as a, as a country than I think we have. Um, but we're, we're not talking about sort of an end of the world scenario here, right? This isn't uh, going to be red dawn in a digital world in all likelihood. I think it's the case that that we need to shore up this vulnerability and the average person should understand, hey, I might lose access to Google for a day or I might lose access to a bank for a couple of hours. But but in principle, our recovery systems are quite strong, but we do need to shore up this vulnerability. There's no doubt about it. Our lives are really dependent, more dependent here in the United States than anywhere else on, on these sort of digital capacities. And we need to make sure they're not protected. Misinformation is something else Russia is very good at. And there's something that has grown in its ability in the last couple of years with artificial intelligence, so-called deep fake videos, which are amazing when you can see some of these. How much does Russia do that and how much of a threat are they now? I mean, it's a huge threat, you know, and, and this is more of a philosophical question. We live in an open society. I'm proud to live in a republic. I love the way we live our lives here in the United States. They hate it. But that openness that we so love and we cherish gives them an advantage because they can, they can distribute quote fake news, however they like, and they can convince people of things that aren't true in order to, to really set us off against each other. I think a lot of the internal strife we have, and this is purely my opinion, but a lot of the internal strife we face is because our enemies, not just Russia, but China and others have realized that and they're exploiting it. We haven't done a good enough job at blocking them out of, of our, of our media systems. And it's definitely another area where, where we need to shore up the house. John Cofrancesco, Vice President for Fortress Government. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, my pleasure. And thank you so much for the conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Cynthia Monteleone with your Fox News commentary coming up. Running for office can be challenging enough without wondering exactly where your district is. But new maps are still a work in progress after the 2020 census. Analytical website 538 says eight states have yet to agree on congressional districts. And that process has already ended up in courts in several states. These maps disenfranchise voters. They violate uh, the Voting Rights Act. And they are in violation of numerous state and federal laws. Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan has called for redistricting reform, arguing that politicians are picking their voters rather than citizens picking their representatives. But when he vetoed Maryland's new maps in December, calling them gerrymandered and shameful, the state legislature overrode the veto. Hogan then urged the Biden administration to sue the state, as the Justice Department had just announced it was suing Texas, accusing its map making of violating the rights of Latino and black voters. But these arguments cut both ways. The Republicans have for years 
gerrymandered the heck out of this country. New York Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney is head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. He urged support for what became New York's new maps, characterizing them as support for communities of interest. Critics say they favor Democrats so much that five of the state's eight Republican members of Congress could lose seats. But fighting a map is a bit more complicated after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2019 that it's not up to federal courts whether district lines are too partisan. So there's a midterm battle already happening behind the scenes. Well, these are some of the biggest and most politically contentious states on the the map. Josh Crossauer, Fox News Radio political analyst and politics editor at National Journal. Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio. North Carolina, and uh, many of the these maps are mired in, in, in courts or in disputes, but it really is going to make a big difference in the political makeup of the House in this year's midterms, and it goes to show just how divided we are, uh, how tribal we are in that we can't even figure out how to sensibly draw lines in some of the biggest battlegrounds in the country. Now, this is especially important because some states have lost or gained seats due to the census and population changes, right? That's right. And when you lose a seat like Ohio has, you, you have a game of musical chairs where it's just becoming more difficult for certain members of Congress to, to maintain their, their district or to figure out where they're going to run. So there, there's always uh, both opportunities in states that, that gain seats, Florida, Texas among them, and, and then also states like Ohio, West Virginia in, in this cycle as well that are losing seats and are forcing members to run against other members of Congress. When it comes to the court challenges, and I know there are multiples, are those about detailed local issues with the maps or does it still really come down to gerrymandering claims in, in each of the cases? Well, it comes down to each of the different state Supreme Courts and how they're choosing to uh, decide whether these maps are constitutional or not. Uh, we've seen partisan maps in many, many states where one party has full control, but only some of those states and, and, and the judicial branch in those states are they being overturned, being brought back to the drawing board. In New York, Democrats just drew one of the more partisan maps I've ever seen to try to protect as much Democratic representation in what is a pretty Democratic state. But we're not hearing any challenges as, as of yet from, from the courts, and the expectation is that Democrats will be able to maintain their gerrymandering in New York state. On the other hand, in Ohio, Republicans had full control of the map drawing process, but state Supreme Courts in both of those states, by narrow uh, majorities, said they are too partisan. They are too gerrymandered. You need to go back to the drawing board and start again. So there's not one consistent pa- uh, rule in, in what makes gerrymander a gerrymander and what makes the district lines being drawn as being seen as unfair. It really is in the eye of the beholder, and, and especially for the Republicans, they've hit a buzzsaw in these key battleground states of state Supreme Courts that have ruled negatively on, on the on the gerrymanders that they've drawn. If Democrats and Republicans accuse each other of gerrymandering, why not change the system? I mean, I know some states have tried to change their system of, of redrawing maps. It, is it working in any of those states? Well, look, dem- to be f- Democrats have been more outspoken over the years about trying to pass legislation that would rule out the ability of politicians to draw their own maps. They, they, they would prefer having independent commissions across the country 
drawing the maps, and, and they think that they, they might benefit from that politically. As it turns out, though, it's interesting, uh, Republicans started out with an advantage in terms of having more states, having more districts, which they controlled, which they had more partisan control over. But because of the certain intervention by state Supreme Courts against Republican maps in, in states like Ohio and North Carolina, uh, Democrats actually have done pretty well. Uh, they've managed to gerrymander in their own states. Each side seems to be getting their wins, but but it almost they're, they're balancing each other out. In other words, there's a lot of gerrymanders. Republicans are gerrymandering. Democrats are doing an even better job gerrymandering. And in, in the end, it, it comes out to be something of a wash. Do you think the system is creating more extreme candidates then, especially you know if the districts aren't very competitive between the parties? It certainly creates that that opportunity that you know if you're a Republican running in a safe Republican seat. It's much more likely you're going to be catering to the more right wing elements of, of, of the voters in that district. If you're a Democrat and you don't need to win over independent voters or swing voters, if you know you, if, you're the pri- if you win the primary, you'll win that seat, then you're not going to have as much incentive to go to the middle and win over moderate minded voters. So, yeah, in the big picture, gerrymandering does create more extremism, a, a greater tendency to play partisan politics instead of working together along party across party lines to, to try to figure out bipartisan solutions. What are the alternatives to the current system then, Josh? I mean, is there a, <laughs> is there a better way? Is there a way to do it so that there's, you know, is it an all or nothing proposition? Is it everyone gerrymanders or nobody gerrymanders or is that not even possible. Well, the solution is to have balanced government in some of the states. And, and we're seeing that in certain states this year where, you know, you may have a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature and there's a they, they come to a stalemate. They can't figure out a compromise. So and, and in many of these states, it goes to a commission. It goes to the, the courts to draw a new map. Uh, it almost balances things out in the end. Uh, you know, we, we've always had gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering in, in our country. This U.S. Supreme Court decided that partisan gerrymandering is okay. It's, 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 it's allowed. It's constitutional. Uh, but what we're seeing now is the, some of the state courts, the state Supreme Courts are, are saying it's not okay. So the U.S. Supreme Court is saying it's okay to gerrymander. The state Supreme Courts in certain states saying it's, it's not okay. So you have a very scattershot approach. Um, which is leading to a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion. Um, what is the solution? Uh, you know, I, I, gerrymandering is a problem. I don't know if it's the biggest problem in, in creating the extreme politics that we see today. A lot of it is that voters are also choosing to take more extreme positions. The politicians are, are following those cues. And that, that also, the self-sorting of this country along partisan lines is also playing a very significant role in seeing how dysfunctional our politics are. Has this always been this much of a battle every 10 years after the census, or, or is it just getting more attention now? There's always been a partisan battle in drawing the lines every 10 years. But what's changed is, number one, we've become more partisan and more tribal and more ideological as, as a country. So there's less room for compromise in, in, in general. And also the technology in drawing these lines 
has gotten so much more sophisticated that, you know, even some of the gerrymanders in decades past may have been partisan, but maybe they weren't br- as brutal and as, and as ruthlessly efficient as we're seeing in some of these states this time around. It's, it's, it's e- all too easy for anyone to get to a computer and draw a very sophisticated map that can maximize one party's advantage as aggressively as possible. What about the pandemic-related delays in some of the documentation for drawing new maps? Do we know how much of an impact that's actually having? Yeah, well, everything has gotten pushed back because a lot of the data, the census data that was necessary to start the process was was delayed. Uh, and we're seeing in many states, or at least some states, may end up getting pushed back because of litigation also combined with the fact that the pandemic and other issues made the uh, process th- start at a later date than usual. Is this something that's strictly up to the states because elections are state controlled? And and if so, then can it become an argument for eroding state control of elections? Could this head down that road? Well, Democrats have le- legislation that doesn't have a path through Congress, but they want to move the decision making from the individual states and have a f- Federal policy essentially outlawing gerrymandering and, and, and literally having not, you know, a much, a much, uh, more nonpartisan process. Republicans have objected to it. The bill that Democrats have been championing is unlikely to pass, uh, Congress. And uh, the only thing that can really prevent, uh, partisanship from taking full, full power is, is, is courts at the state level. When we've seen that this, this, this year and, and we may see some more litigation going forward. What about the broader argument? That, that Democrats are trying to make at least about voting rights, because some of the challenges to redistricting maps are actually relying on Voting Rights Act related arguments, um, even though a Supreme Court ruling was seen as hollowing out some of those protections. Yeah, that's the other side of, of, of the debate where, especially in some of the southern states with large African-American populations, uh, Democrats have, have started to make the case that there should be additional congressional representation in, in areas with large um, minority populations. Um, so like the, 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 the big dispute in Alabama, given its sizable African-American population, is that Democrats argue there should be two districts with significant African-American electorates that could help elect two Democrats in Alabama instead of just just one. Um, the, the Supreme Court for now uh, swatted that down, and we're going to be sticking with the original maps that were uh, outlined in Alabama. But there's a lot of debate. I mean, there's a lot of debate even within the Democratic Party over what constitutes a racially fair map. It definitely sounds like overall a case of, you know, so many maps and so many issues and so little time. Because there aren't that many months, really, as we count down to the midterms later this year. And that's that's the argument that the court, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, utilized in saying that there was just not enough time for uh, the Alabama uh, litigation to go forward because we're getting so close to the primaries. We're not that far away from the November midterms, so uh, we're really in crunch time. And and even though there's very serious substantive legis- litigation, rather. On some of these maps, it's getting to the point where states are going to have to come up with a map, at least temporarily, as we have elections just months away. Josh Crossauer, Fox News Radio political analyst. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jason in the house. The Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on America. American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Cynthia Monteleone. What's on your mind? I'm a mom, a coach, and a Team USA World Masters track athlete fighting for something greater than another gold medal. I'm standing for the protection of women's sports. If male-bodied athletes continue competing on female teams, it will be the end of women's sports. This is no exaggeration. This is reality, and it's happening right now. At the 2018 World Masters Athletic Championships in Malaga, Spain, I competed in the 200-meter race against a male-bodied athlete, whom I beat by only a few tenths of a second. The next year, the same athlete beat my teammate in the hurdles for a place on the podium at the 2019 World Championship Indoor Meet in Poland. It wasn't just on the world stage that I experienced the demoralizing trend of male-bodied athletes displacing females from their own competitions. It was also on my home island of Maui, Hawaii. A year and a half after my experience in Spain, my daughter lost to a biological male identifying as female in her first ever high school track race. I had watched proudly as my strong and determined girl did all the right things made personal, difficult sacrifices to train her body to be as fast and fit as possible for her first race. Yet all her hard work seemed to drift away along with the male-bodied athlete who had just transferred from the boys' volleyball team to the girls' team the season before. The athlete breezed right by her to win first place, leaving her to finish second. It's not only the fact that my daughter placed second behind this individual in her first race. We also began to witness all the other ways this injustice impacts families like ours. The mental health impact on girls who have to race male-bodied athletes. The personal lessons and effort rewarded and goals achieved. But how can you win as a female when you're lined up next to a male body whose strength, heart, and lung capacity are all greater than your own, no matter what the quote-unquote treatment? Numerous studies have shown males continue to hold large physical advantages over females, even when suppressing their testosterone. And males are still 12% faster than their female counterparts after two years of feminizing hormones. We are not just hormones. The most important factor is the psychological toll. Many of the girls I coach suffer from anxiety over having to compete against male-bodied athletes. Yet those of us who dare to speak out are told, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just keep your mouth shut and be quiet. That's what I was told when I raised questions as to the unfairness of running next to a male-bodied athlete at the World Masters. From coast to coast, we see college administrators, coaches, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and many others in the media and culture trying to downplay our stories. But know this, there is a groundswell. From my very own daughter raising her voice, along with the young track stars, Chelsea Mitchell, Selena Sewell, and Alana Smith in Connecticut, to Lainey Armistead, who plays soccer in West Virginia, to the female swimmers at the University of Pennsylvania 
Indeed, there's a chorus of voices bravely recounting the missed opportunities, lost scholarships and titles, and the enormous challenge of competing in the sport you love on a playing field you know isn't level. Female athletes deserve their chance to receive accolades, awards, and scholarships. We must raise our voices on behalf of fairness and equal opportunity for all women before the entire category of women's sports is erased. This is Cynthia Monteleone, Team USA World Track Athlete, Mom, and Coach. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.